missed fall enrollment? It's your time to shine at William Peace University. WPU is enrolling for the spring semester at our co-ed university in the heart of Raleigh. We offer more than 30 majors, including esports and gaming administration, simulation and game design, and interactive design. Our classes are taught by full professors, and our small class size means you get one-on-one instruction and immersive learning. Plus, we connect students with internships. William Peace University, your time to shine. Get started today at peace.edu. So, John Forslund, I heard you during the broadcast yesterday uh, essentially allude to the fact that you were held captive in Chicago for an extended period, extended period of time. Uh, you guys were in Chicago since, what, Saturday evening, right? It felt like a month, yeah. <laughs> uh, Saturday night after the game in Minnesota, we flew to Chicago, and the players had their uh, their team dinner, which, of course, we're not privy to, nor would we expect to be able to go to something like that. Right. And then uh, had a day off on Sunday. They practiced on Monday. And for me, it felt like eternity. I'm not used to these trips. We don't have too many of them anymore in my personal schedule. I bounce around so much. So three days in one place for me is not good. Well, so what'd you do? What, 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 just bum around the hotel? I did, I did did nothing. I, I, I lead a boring life now, Adam. I I really do. I, uh, reserve the nights for watching games and I I have to, you know, stay as up to date as Uh possible on, on just about every team. So uh, I'm kind of a workaholic that way. And, um, you know, I've been to Chicago a gazillion times. I'm there next week. Right. I'm there next week for NBC. So, uh, yeah, I've seen it all. So it really brings that level of boredom and captivity to a new place. Yeah, we know uh, Natchez, Marty Natchez, bought, had to buy dinner. I had, a, yeah. uh, I had a heads up about something like that happening uh, from a, I'll just call it a team source. Uh, that it was going to happen. I knew ahead of time. What do you think that dinner runs, Martin Natchez? Oh, thousands. <laughs> it's, um, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. They, they have ways of, um, you know, uh, moving that bill upward. They have ways of sure. uh, uh, ordering extra things and ordering people that are just nearby or um, extra stuff for their meal and so on, and then putting the tab on the poor rookie. But they they do it they do it in a nice way. They they hold the line when it gets to be too much, and it's all it's all good. But uh, hey, if it brings them together, then uh, which it usually does, and I think we saw that in Chicago, all good. Yeah, and in years past, the, all the rookies would pay like together. So last year there were like five rookies. So right. this year's there's only Natchez. He got stuck with the whole sure. thing. And that's how you get the first goal, the first game back. <laughs> that's that's right. All right, let's uh, we'll uh, we'll start this shindig. This is the Canes Corner podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner podcast, Adam Gold, John Forsland, voice of your Carolina Hurricanes. Thank you very much for joining us on another edition of the Canes Corner podcast. So this has been like a roller coaster ride. They 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 win three, they lose four. Now they've won four um, in this four game winning streak. I mean, I, I almost want to toss the Ottawa game aside because, with all due respect to the professional players on Ottawa's roster, uh, that was that was a non competitive game. That was an FBS versus an FCS game. In in my view, we were all there. 
Um, I thought the Chicago game last night, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday, I thought that was the only really good game that they played in this stretch. I agree. And and I think when we look back at this and, and hopefully, you know, we reflect back and it's, it's positive, it's the game in Ottawa. It's the game in Ottawa that might be the one that hit them right over the head. Um, that game was was so bad defensively, and they paid a price, and they were embarrassed by it. I think that had a lot to do with the offensive awakening at home against Ottawa, and your point's well taken. You should pound a team like that, and they did. And then you go off on this road trip, and you get Buffalo coming back from Sweden, and their play has really tailed off since an 8-1-1 start. They're not very good right now, and that game looked to be in total control, slipped away, and that was all in the Hurricanes. The game in Minnesota started out great. Okay, this is the one that's going to put them back on the map in terms of their team game and how they want to play. That evaporated. They allowed a slower, older, not a very good team to come back in, smell the game, force overtime. Good fortune, you know, on the on the shot by Svechnikov. Okay, another win. And then you go to Chicago. And the beauty of the Chicago trip was the time, the team bonding event that occurred on Saturday night, mm-hmm. the practice where the coach is edgy. Uh, you're talking to a coach about a three-game winning streak, and he doesn't want to hear about it. <laughs> and so that's good. And I think what ended up happening in Chicago was those first two periods were letter perfect from a team game standpoint. They played with a the lead. They played with authority. They shut down the middle of the ice. They defended well in their zone. And then Chicago was allowed to get to what's been making them very good lately. And they pushed hard. And uh, Peter Morozik stood tall. And I, I hope they recognize now, and I think they do, that that game in Ottawa was uh, indicative of what can happen if they don't want to work. And I think over the last few weeks, they, they're good enough to compete in every game. They're good enough to win the majority of their games, but they're not going to go anywhere if they don't adhere to the team principles that Brendan Moore is trying to lay down. And I think uh, hopefully the Chicago game's a building block that way. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I've i never been asked for my opinion on the three stars for any, of, any home game that I cover, and I'm not asking uh, or suggesting that I should be asked. But I do that after every game. And most of the time, I'm pretty much on, in, in line with uh, the official three stars. Uh, but I, and I, I sort of do it going, going throughout the game. Who has moved ahead here so there's not situations where I forget guys. Um, I didn't have Mrazek anywhere on my radar screen for one of the three stars in the first two periods because he was essentially a, paying, a non-paying customer. To the game. He had only seen 12 shots. Carolina dominated the first period. They were really good in the second. Uh, And I thought for the first seven or eight minutes of the third period, it was kind of the same thing. And then, to me, he became the first star of the game, and that's even with possibly the second goal, one that he might want back. Uh, Because they could have given up seven goals in the third period. He made some spectacular saves. To me, he went from no star to the first star. He did, and I think it's uh, it's indicative of his makeup. Um, he's got this internal competitive nature that has fueled his career. Has fueled. If, if you go all the way back to, you know, when he he played for the Czech Republic in the World Juniors, and they had one of the worst teams they have ever uh, comprised. Right. And he put himself on the map. I don't even think he was looked at as a draftable guy 
until that tournament. And then he was a hero. And so it's kind of been his M.O., but you're right. Patrick Kane took the game over. Um, I still maintain that Jonathan Taves, four years ago, puts that shot in oh, at yeah. the end. <laughs> we might still be playing. Um, he completely, you know, the stone hands got to him there, and, and you know, it is what it is. But uh, Morozik, just an unbelievable competitive nature to his game that helps his athleticism, that helps his desire to be a number one, which I still think he's, he's you know, he's, he's got this chip on his shoulder that sure. way. But but it's all good. I mean, that's that's just part of it. It's going to happen. This is a, a Chicago team that's better than most people think, and they do have, you know, one of the best players in the world when he decides to go. And he decided the time was now. And he, he took Patrick Kane, took the game over, which was which was phenomenal to watch in yeah. one sense and a nightmare if you're a Kane fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, Mrazek had to make a stop on uh, Kane as Kane threaded the the arms, legs, sticks, oh. and skates of uh, of two Hurricanes on a what was a one on two rush. But man, there's the, there's a reason that Patrick Kane is going to the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame sort of at the back edge of this podcast. My favorite comment from Rod was when he was uh, told that it was the first time they'd ever swept a road trip of at least three games in franchise history. He, he went, really? That doesn't sound very milestone to me. Uh, and it's one of the things I love about Rod Brindamore yeah. so much. All right, so this was the first game. Like, they've played without Eric Holler before, but it was always thought to be kind of a temporary thing. Uh, now they know that, okay, this is probably going to be a, a long-term absence for Hall. We still don't even know what that means. It could mean a month. It could mean three months. We really do, It could mean forever. Uh, we don't know. Uh, what did you see from Lucas Walmark? Uh, because he stepped into that void. Now he's going to have to be the third center for this team. What did you see from him? Well, exactly what anybody would hope for and you and I and Joe talked about it uh, the day of the game um, it's all well and good he can handle the role he can handle every dimension of being a third center with the exception of his potential to put points on the board he has become a more productive player he has the ability he was drafted that way he was looked at as a kid that could possibly be a top six center at some point in his career it's kind of gone that way at times this season certainly not and so what happened he was you know himself but he was very good with the puck made plays had the two assists uh controlled the center ice play um and looks like a very good fit and he and tell you what if if nino niederreiter finds a touch again mm-hmm. natchez is playing at a dynamic level this is going to feed right into Lucas's skill set because he's the type of center that will defer. He'll defer to his wingers. He'll 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 make them better, and he'll end up getting points. He'll score the odd goals, but he's a creator. The other two kids are finishers, and I like the potential for that line. I really do. Mm-hmm. And until Eric is a hundred percent, everybody should just cease wondering about it because it's too serious. I mean, I don't have any information on the injury. We never have any specifics. Right. But let's connect the dots here. Major knee surgery, a knee that doesn't look good in training camp, a noticeable slowdown in terms of a guy that skated like the wind and hasn't really this year, although impactful with all his goals, most of them in tight, most of them, you know, created through power play situations. And and, and now he's out again after being in, out, and then out. 
um, let him let him heal. Let him let yeah. him get better for his career. Let him get better for his, his hurricane career. Whatever's on the horizon for him, but you got to move forward, with Lucas Walmart, and that was a great first step. Yeah, the uh, just for people who didn't see the game, I mean, it was a two on O with Niederreiter and Natchez, but Walmart makes the play at the blue line, uh, right. winning a battle with I, I don't know how many Blackhawks with three Blackhawks there, and Walmart uh, f- uh, forces the puck free to a two on O. Uh, and then the pass he made, and I think he did use the wall purposely uh, to make that pass to Niederreiter uh, because that was the angle to get him the puck. Uh, I oh, thought yeah. that was an absolutely brilliant pass, uh, and that I think to me, I think that's what you're referring to uh, with Walmart. And we saw it last year; he filled in for a stall, and he did a, a really yeah. good job. And that's a hard guy yeah. to fill in for, uh, and he gets all the other stuff too. Right? Yeah, he's he's fundamentally sound, and as you know, he's a He's a tremendous kid, and yeah. he, he just he just wants to be successful, make the team better. But but he will create situations like that, you know, that you you get lost even on the two on zero. I mean, in calling it, I couldn't believe the play made, you know, in the in the uh, neutral zone, and it's a momentary hesitation because I'm looking at that now. It's a two on zero, which I can't believe. But thanks to these wonderful road uniforms, <laughs> and the fact that we're eight miles away in Chicago, I wasn't sure. If Niederreiter made that play in the center, or if uh, Walmart was coming in on the two on zero, because you got a twenty-one and a seventy-one right. with the curved numerals that looked the same to me. Um, so if you listen to that one back, oh, I yeah. don't have a clue who's passing the natures. <laughs> I, I do not know until the play was over, and uh, it still irritates me. I, I heard you refer to the curved numerals. Yeah, see, well, I can't stand them. Those of I us who know them. you well, we we always know. All right, this is this is a this is a pet peeve. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I cannot. And and you know, in the buildings like Chicago, you you got to be there. I mean, that's a cavernous building, you know, and you're right. way up. <laughs> Our building isn't any good from the angle that it's uh, situated. Yeah, so yeah. that's my own world. And anyhow, um, yeah, I had to cover that one up a little bit because I was not 100 percent sure <laughs> who made that. That play in the center. On, on the two on Oak goal was was fantastic. Yeah, it was, uh, Walmart just dug it out. It was uh, he was tremendous. All right, all right. One thing about uh, Rod as a coach, and then we'll pick some stuff up uh, after. We're going to take a very short break, um, but uh, but we're we're not going to go anywhere. We'll still we'll still stay r- right where we are. The way Rod handles young players, we saw it last year with Svechnikov. And we're seeing it this year with Natchez. He's giving Natchez power play time like he gave gave Andre last year, second unit power play time. Uh, It's kind of hiding him on a third line, um, even though Natchez may at times look like he deserves uh, more ice time. He's got 15 15 points in 21 games. That's That's almost a 60 point pace. That's well ahead of where Andre was even at this time. What do you see about the way Rod handles these young, obvious future stars? Well, the, the number one thing you have to have is consistency. And in, in a sport like hockey for a head coach, being consistent with how you handle players isn't always as easy as it appears. In football, where the head coach of an NFL team usually has the hammer, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they lay down the law. It runs through him. You know, Belichick comes to mind. That's it. Personnel, decisions, how we handle people, the Patriot way, whatever they want to call it, it's him. In hockey, you get a lot of outside pressure from management. You get a lot of 
influences that are trying to suggest that this should work better than that. Hockey's changed a lot. There's analytics involved. All the coaches across the league get numbers that are supposed to support their decisions and sometimes force them into decisions that they might not want to make. Um, this is the reality of the where it's at right now. And what I like about the way Brenda Moore handles young players is he has an idea of how he wants to do it. He doesn't do it old school. Old school, they used to bury kids on a fourth mm-hmm. line. For, and then you had, remember Paul Maurice, you had to, you had to go <laughs> off the charts to get any chance at all. This is the way it was going to be. Right. But it was because it was like a ritual. It was almost like this is how you do it. Rod does it in a way where he wants the player to learn and he wants the player to be successful. So Svechnikov comes to mind. There was a huge learning curve, as a matter of fact, and you know this, in, in Andre's first training camp, the word that we got was he has no clue how to play defensively. <laughs> we got to teach him the game at the NHL level as an 18-year-old. Well, how do you do that without shattering someone's confidence? It's tricky. And so he's able to walk the line. He doesn't shatter anybody's confidence. He put Svechnikov on a third line for the entire season, mm-hmm. insulated him with a good center like Walmart and a great KG veteran like Martin up that could put his arm around him and lead him in all the right ways, and he scores 20 goals. This year, he's making a further jump into stardom because of the way he was handled at first. So what do you do? You try to handle your rookies and your first-year players the same way across the board. And I see that consistency with Rod no matter what he hears, no matter what noise is coming from the management, uh, the fans, the media, you know, no matter what they say about not listening, they're human. They hear it. They know it's out there. They, they second-guess some of their decisions. And he's doing the same thing with Marty Natchez. He, he, he does it the right way. He, he's able to instill confidence when Natchez makes a mistake in overtime in Columbus back in October. Mm-hmm. Look what happens. You're, you're not going to get benched. You're not going to see your ice time curtailed. You're going to get another opportunity, but let's learn from it. And when you're consistent and true and real and all those words that are attached to Rod Brindamore, um, it registers with today's player. And I think that's why there's such a, a trust factor because these young players who come into the league well-equipped with their own ideas, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a given that you know today's young player comes into the National Hockey League and automatically turns his soul over to the coach. There has to be a current situation, even as odd as it seems for, for a rookie, going the other way, looking at the coach. I mean, that, that, that player has to say, okay, I, I've got here, um, and now I'm going to listen to him. Why? But I think Rod provides all the right reasons why, and, um, and you're seeing it. And I, and I think that's – if you do it consistent, if you're consistent with all of it, then, then terrific. And I think that's what's happened in Natchez's case. He was ordained a spot last year. Mm-hmm. He was he was marketed. He was marketed by the team. Yeah. And he didn't even he didn't play here last year. You know, <laughs> so that's the type. That's what I'm driving at here. That those are the forces that are out there. Some organizations would say, play this guy. No, no matter what, you got to play him. You gotta, I think some of that's going on with the Rangers right now. I think, and I, I do know there's a little bit of a pushback with Capo Caco. Um, David Quinn wants to kind of go through the Brindamore playbook with this young player. And you can you imagine in New York, yeah, you know, the, the, the pressure that's to, there to, to market this guy that they know is going to be a star and they want to get to it right now. It's not easy. We're going to take a very short break. Don't go anywhere, John. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. 
John Forsland, Hurricanes play-by-play man, joining us here on the Canes Corner Podcast. We talked about it on this show on Tuesday. Um, Monday evening, I go home, and uh, I had totally forgotten that it was on, but because my younger son is all about hockey, uh, because and video games are not allowed during the week, uh, the NHL Network is on, main television in the living room, and the Hockey Hall of Fame ceremonies are about to start, and we all knew Jim Rutherford was getting uh, was going to get inducted, and it was very cool to watch Jim having spent enough time with Jim, not nearly what you spent with Jim uh, and where your career began because of Jim Rutherford. It was cool to have all of those memories of being waved off of our golf team during the media golf tournament because he's waved me once uh, on <laughs> off, the, off the golf team. Or, 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 or our fights, our feuds. All of those things come rushing back, all of those memories, which I now have nothing but smiles come to my face when I think about them. It was cool to watch him get honored for as good at his job as he was and is. You know what, Pez? Absolutely. And and I just... Um... I got so much time for, for Jim and I too have gone through some real interesting situations with him professionally. I've been on the receiving end of a few tirades. Um, I've, I've gone through, uh, you know, trying to negotiate a contract with him for myself. That right. was, uh, that was something. Um, but by and large, uh, this is a guy who is, uh, is hockey through and through and has this other side to him where he's able to get angry and then table it and then do the the best he can to help whoever it is get where they need to go, whether it be a coach, whether it be a player, front office staff, media people, um, fans. Uh, it, it's just, it was, it was so, so rewarding to watch him, you know, get this honor as a builder. You know, I think that's, that's a perfect description because look, nothing depicts building, than moving a National Hockey League team in like four and a half months to North Carolina. <laughs> Nothing. It's never been done. It was the quickest relocation. Um, Winnipeg, it was a year in advance when they moved to Arizona. It wasn't an expansion team. You didn't have to have a 12,000, 13,000 fan base um, established before you got the team. There was no ticket drive. I mean, and then you had to play out of market for two years and then open up a building, run the building, run the team. Amazing, absolutely amazing for me. Yeah, it was it was uh, just great, and it was cool to see him. He won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh, uh, and I know he feels uh, incredibly, uh, you know, has great feelings for Sidney Crosby. And we saw he he mentioned a wide array of yeah. former players. It was very interesting. That whole speech was great, and the message he gave at the end uh, was, "Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something." Because I guess he had to deal with that growing up. Even as a, as an overly tall guy, Jim Rutherford had to be told he couldn't do it. Yeah, and he <laughs> he played in some bad teams when he played, yeah. and was a terrific goalie on bad teams, which which is not an easy job. Um, I saw him one night when I was a young boy, and my dad took me to Boston Garden, and we saw Detroit that night. I think the Bruins was seventy one, seventy two, something like that. They think they beat him six seven one. He faced sixty shots. And I remember uh, my dad, you know, halfway home, a 90-minute drive back to Springfield. It was all about this guy, Jim Rutherford. 
And uh, isn't it funny and <laughs> that later in my life, you know, I, I'd end up, you know, sitting in front of this guy. He would give me my opportunity to, to uh, get a full-time gig in the National Hockey League as a television announcer. He would uh, do wonderful things for my family over time here to establish us here, help us grow here, help us raise our family here. Um, so I, I have a tremendous soft spot for him. And on his speech, I think that message was unbelievable and so true. And I also think that's why he kind of stumbled his way through so many players um, <laughs> because he, he, he has always had a soft spot. I'll tell you a story for, for players. There's a player who was a well-known guy who played for us and, and team was on the road in Calgary and miserable game the night before. And it was an off day. And then we we're traveling to Edmonton or something like that. Anyway, I get a phone call first thing in the morning. Um, you know, I'll do a little impersonation meet me for breakfast. And that's all he said. I'm like, Oh, what, what, what did I say? You know, that I do. It's usually either him or Mr. K had a problem with right. something and now I'm going to hear about it. Right. So I go down to the you know, hotel and we have breakfast and we sit down and he says, what's going on with this guy? And he mentions the player's name. And I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, he, he's caught out of position on that goal last night, blah, blah, blah. It's in a struggle like the rest of them. You know, now I'm spinning. Like, what do you ask right. me about a player for? He goes, I really want to know what's happening in his life. Do you know anything? And I did. I happened to know a couple things that were happening to him, and I told Jimmy. And, I, and he just said, okay. And he goes, now I got to the root of the problem. I'm going to figure it out. We're going to help him. And Jimmy got to him and helped him, and it had nothing to do with – a contract or whether the team's winning or losing. And he did that across the board for so many guys. And I really believe that's why Scott Walker got mentioned. That's why yep. he mentioned, he mentioned every, it was like, we're going to go through the entire time. Chad LaRose was going to make an appearance. <laughs> right? It was just, and you know what? He has such a fondness for that kid. So um, that, that's him. That's uh, that speech was outstanding. Yeah. Jim, Jim always, I mean, he fell in love with players. Is I think the best way yeah. to uh, best to way to fault, pull it. Right to a fault. Yeah, yeah to right. to a fault. It's it is certainly at times worked to his detriment, but right. but he once he once he grew a fondness for you, even if there were moments where he didn't he was done with you, he wasn't ever done with you. I mean, Never. Aaron Ward was brought back, right? Uh, you know, and he was mad at, that Ward left after the Cup team, uh, and he told me all like. He's he this this is the dumbest decision he's ever made. It's going to ultimately cost him money. He was mad at that, uh, but ultimately Ward came back. And I mean, all he just once he once he loves you, he loves you. Uh, and yeah. I think it's very cool. Has anybody ever been acquired by one general manager more than Matt Cullen? No, and there he was, right, <laughs> sitting there, and now he works for Jimmy. And uh, yeah, no, it, it's just it's just amazing, and even. You know, Peter Laviolette's departure here wasn't wasn't good. Um, it was it was dicey. It was it was uh, there was a lot of anger mm-hmm. attached on both sides. Um, he still talks so highly and still has a great relationship with him. He uh, he, he always remembers uh, you know everybody. Uh, Terry McDonald's name was mentioned. Um, our fans today don't have no clue who Terry was, but Terry was someone that. The Carmanis group fell. He fell into their lap way back when, when they purchased their first junior team. He was running the building in Windsor. He was running the team. He needed a job, and they brought him to Hartford. They brought him to Carolina. He was assistant general manager. He's passed away now, but um, 
he's a perfect example, the type of, of people Jimmy liked to surround himself with, help, and but they were good at what they did, and and uh, he, he never forgets. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. it's natural. You, you move on with life. You move on with your career. Some people get carried away with who they're supposed to be. They lose sight of where they once were. He, he never has. And um, I, I think that's I think that's very special. And and you know it doesn't matter. You, you're right. It doesn't matter who you are. Remember, Ronnie Francis going through a contract thing uh, with Jimmy, and Jimmy not being angry at Ron. Right. Um, he, he almost threw a, a, something at me in his office once over 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 my dealings with him and, and so on. And and that wasn't. Uh, and then the next day I came back in there and he said, you know, I'm proud of you. You're really starting to stand up for yourself. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I thought I was fired yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, and that's kind of the relationship it was. Old school, new school. He's yeah. kind of blended it all together. Really smart. Um, and, and great. Yeah. Right, final thing. And this is also about the Hall of Fame. Yeah. If Guy Carboneau is in the Hall yeah. of Fame, what do we have to do to get Rod Brindamore in the Hall yeah, of that's, Fame? Right. Someone asked me that, and and uh, and and I said, well, the time is now because you know Guy Carboneau went in, and if you look at their numbers, aside from plus minus, there's uh, you know there's absolutely no comparison. Nope. There's no comparison statistically uh, as the uh, in terms of their makeup as a player. There's no question about it. They played the game the same way. Guy Carboneau was a tremendous complete center, mm-hmm. tremendous championship caliber player. So is Rod Brindamore. Uh, Guy Carboneau went on to coach, uh, not at the level Rod's already accomplished in a short period of time. Uh, Guy Carboneau uh, was known for a lot of things, but I don't think his off-ice commitment was at the head of the list. And now we're talking about the model, the model for off-ice commitment, which, you remember, this is the Hockey Hall of Fame. This is right. the National Hockey League Hall of Fame. Uh, Roddy con- uh, contributed at the international level, World Junior, Olympic team. Uh, you know, he's got all these things. And uh, for whatever reason, he doesn't – even in Jimmy's speech, I don't think he got enough credit. Um, he was just mentioned mm-hmm. in the 06 group. Right. Um, you know, that trade was the most significant trade I think Jim Rutherford ever ever made. Yep. And because Rod Brindamore is, as you, you agree on this one, I know you do, is the most significant player slash individual associated with this franchise. Yep. No question uh, about it. W- without question. And so if he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, it's a complete injustice. And and, and I think the more we talk about it, the better. And uh, he is, without question, a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And uh, Hall of Fame uh, person in my eyes, I know in your eyes too. Yeah. Uh, and it was to me the easiest, easiest decision Tom Dundon could ever make. And I still don't know what took as long as it did, but he was to me the slam dunk choice to be the head coach. People didn't think that was true. They they attached him to Bill Peters, uh, and right. I'm not saying that there wasn't some attachment. He took some stuff from Bill, Bill Peters. My guess is the organizational. Uh, element of coaching I think he probably took from Bill because I think Bill was good at that. Um, but Rod communicates on a level with his players unlike anything I've ever seen being around a head coach and a team. And I think that's he coaches the way he wanted to be coached as a player. And I know his influences, uh, whether it's Roger Nielsen with Philadelphia or Peter Laviolette and maybe some other coaches, uh, it's, it's great to see this development. Yeah, and, and the thing about Roddy is that it's that it's that outside respect. I think, I think people have always respected him, but it, it's 
it's weird to me because uh, I just think whether it's the years here and maybe that has, you know, the, if he played in Toronto his entire career or some other city, New York, you know, he'd be revered if he stayed in Philadelphia. I mean, he's in the Philadelphia Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. uh, so and he's got a jersey retired here. I mean, why isn't he more on the front burner? I don't know. And he, I, I don't get it. And when he played, it was the same way. He didn't get enough recognition because he didn't talk to enough people. Right. He didn't butter anybody up. He wasn't. He wasn't like a, a, a an angry guy or a guy that disdained media like uh, you know Tom Barrasso. That's a fact. Okay. Tom mm-hmm. Barrasso did not cozy up to anybody with the media. Right. right? And he should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he is a Hall of Fame credentialed individual, uh, just by the numbers. But those, what he did, it's kind of a two-way street. Rod never crossed that line. He just didn't say much. Didn't want the attention. Deferred to his teammates. Uh, gave you a very boring interview. Still does. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta just keep grinding them to get something <laughs> out of them. But he, but he's real, and he's the most significant individual attached to this team ever. And he's got to get to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think he'll get in the Hall of Fame. By the way, Tom Barrasso never had a problem with me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he didn't mind talking to me either. Uh, Hurricanes Golf Tournament, and I even know the place. It was at Briar Creek in, uh, in the Durham-Raleigh uh, confluence, I guess. Uh, and I picked that day paired with Ron Francis and Tom Barrasso, and I forget who else was in the group. Uh, I think it might have been Joe Mazur from uh, TV11. I'm not sure. Um, I apologize if somebody's listening who was in that group. I picked that day to career it. Played my the best golf I've ever played, and you know Tom oh, Barrasso. Yeah, Tom yeah. Barrasso. It was as, as close as you're going to get to a pro. <laughs> yeah, he worked oh, at absolutely. it absolutely. And and when, in Tommy's time of the Hurricanes, like he treated me at Trip, um, it, we were good with him. Like uh, it was just. And Ronnie always said that, and I was like, well, if he's good enough to be friends with Ron Francis, he can't be all bad. But (laughs) perception, as you know, is so much a part of what happens in in life and certainly in this sport um, that outside influences that have a lot to say about who gets in and who doesn't uh, have a lot to do with it. And I think Tommy just burned too many bridges. I I just, uh, I think it's, it's an injustice that he's not into. Yeah, but uh, so he he liked me because uh, we we won the golf tournament. Jim was mad because we we dusted the field that day, uh, but that's all right. Jim uh, Jim probably got us back at some point. Uh, all right, you uh, we'll see you Thursday against the uh, against the Flyers. It's another home game, Florida on Saturday, and then uh, then they head out on the road against uh, Detroit. But we'll talk again very soon. John Forsland, thank you so much. Thank you, Adam. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. On average, people spend over a third of their life sleeping, yet most sleep disorders go undiagnosed. I'm Megan Gigling, General Manager of Parkway Sleep Health Centers. Sleep struggles left untreated can lead to health problems and have a serious effect on your quality of life. We've served the Triangle for 20 years. Let us help you get the sleep you've been dreaming of. If you're in need of a sleep study, a knowledgeable doctor, CPAP machine, or supplies, Parkway has you covered. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit parkwaysleep.com. Sound sleep. Sound health.